are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another episode of Power to the Pod here on Locked On Dolphins. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs. It's your show, your topics, your questions, all things Miami Dolphins, and sometimes not Miami Dolphins. But that's not up to me. It's up to you. And that's why we call it Power to the Pod. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, managing editor of USA Today's DolphinsWire.com, director of scouting at thedraftnetwork.com. And today's episode is brought to you by Pepsi. This football season will be different. It's definitely different for Dolphins fans, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. Because Pepsi is made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi. Made for football watching. We will be watching Zach Sealer as a member of the Miami Dolphins for quite some time. That is the news that came through yesterday afternoon. We, of course, have to talk about Jordan Howard's departure as well. But the news came through yesterday afternoon that the Miami Dolphins had agreed to a three-year contract extension with defensive lineman Zach Sealer. Sealer, who the Dolphins claimed off the waiver wire from the Baltimore Ravens, Midway through the 2019 season has been nothing but an absolute delight for the Dolphins as they've watched him mature and materialize into a viable starting defensive lineman for Miami's multiple front defense. Sealer's performance in Week 10 against the Los Angeles Chargers did not prompt this extension. These these wheels were in movement before that, but it certainly didn't hurt to put the final nail in the coffin to get this deal done because Sealer, in the absence of Christian Wilkins, was very, very effective for the Miami Dolphins up front. Five tackles, two tackles for loss, and it feels as though the small school prospect from Ferris State, seventh-round pick uh, by Ozzie Newsom in the Baltimore Ravens, is only now beginning to scratch the surface of what he could be as a pro player. That was not the only transaction that the Dolphins made. Throughout the course of the day yesterday, Brian Flores led his South Florida media availability by announcing that he, the Dolphins, and running back Jordan Howard had all mutually agreed to part their separate ways. The Dolphins cutting Jordan Howard after making him a healthy scratch in Week 10 against the Chargers, despite the fact that the Dolphins did not have their first or second string running backs, Miles Gaskin or Matt Breida, available to them to play the Chargers. Pretty eye-opening and damning for Jordan Howard and the Dolphins' perception of his ability to execute the offense at a high level to be a healthy scratch despite only having third string and worse running backs available. And then Salvin Ahmed goes out and logs 90 yards of offense from scrimmage and nearly had 100 yards rushing in the game before the Chargers teed off on him late in the game to force a couple runs that went for losses. Howard, of course, signed a two-year, nearly $10 million contract value with the Dolphins this offseason, a signing that many, myself included, were optimistic about as it showed what kind of vision this Dolphins team had for their offense, replicating a lot of what the Alabama Crimson Tide did while Tua Tagovailoa was the quarterback there. But that's the risk of signing a running back coming off of an injury as you see Jordan Howard play in 2008. 19 before he got hurt with the Eagles and even prior with the Chicago Bears versus the product that the Dolphins got for their money. And it was clear that the Dolphins did not get the same version of Jordan Howard. And Jordan Howard is not an old running back at 26 years old, but his style of play, 
him being a half step slower than what he was when he first came into the league, and the Dolphins' lack of chemistry and experience in the offensive line in the run game to establish clean run fits all added up to a very toxic, combustible blend of variables at play for the Miami Dolphins. Howard got his biggest play in Week 9 without Gaskin and without Breida. He carried the ball 10 times for 19 yards and a touchdown. He averaged 1.2 yards per carry on 28 carries on the season. For what it's worth, Salvin Ahmed, an undrafted free agent running back from Washington, has now also carried the ball 28 times this season and has over 100 more rushing yards than what Jordan Howard did. Moral of the story is not, wow, the Dolphins swung out, struck out, and missed. The moral of the story for the Dolphins should be this is why it's good that they are conducting business the way that they are. Because they structured Jordan Howard's contract, a two-year, $10 million contract, a significant amount of money to pay a free agent running back. They structured his contract so that they could cut him now, they would pay him his salary for the year, and they will incur no salary cap penalties at all for 2021. They will free up nearly $5 million in cap space next year, no harm, no foul. And the Dolphins, everything that they are doing is en masse. They are, when they choose and commit to invest in a position, they don't just check the box. If the Dolphins would have signed Jordan Howard, shrugged their shoulders and said, well, we took care of running back on to the next thing. Let's try and cover all of our bases everywhere. This team would be in a much worse place than what they actually are because the team, yes, they first of all drafted Miles Gaskin in the seventh round of 2019. Then they signed Jordan Howard. And then on day three of the 2020 draft, they trade for Matt Breida. And then they pick Salvin Ahmed off, up off the waiver wire. All of these things add up, and it's the total blend and all of those fresh faces in a room that the Dolphins clearly wanted to improve upon. It just so happens that the most high-profile signing was the one that was the least productive. But that is why, on Locked on Dolphins, you'll always hear me preach the process of invest in positions, don't just address positions. That was one of the big sins of the Dolphins of the 2010s. The interior offensive line is a problem. Well, we'll go out and sign Josh Sitton in free agency, and we'll call it a day, and we'll say we're done. Well, guess what? Josh Sitton gets hurt in the first game of the season and misses the other 15 games, and you got Ted Larson running around as a starting offensive lineman for the other 15 games of the season. It can't work like that. So having the expectation that, yes, the Dolphins are going to make draft selections that don't live up to your and their expectations for them as players, and they're going to sign players Sometimes some high money players that don't live up to the expectations that you and the team and the player themselves had for this marriage. And that's okay as long as the Dolphins do what they have done for the last 18 months, which every bit of business that the Miami Dolphins have conducted has been done with the mentality of having long-term flexibility to pivot and adjust. Having high amounts of NFL draft capital is going to allow you to constantly be tweaking and reassessing and readdressing and redrafting positions until you get it right. Front-loading your contracts with the guaranteed money so you can get out of them like they did with Shaq Lawson and Eric Flowers and Jordan Howard. If Jordan Howard's the only bust, great. But the Dolphins have the flexibility to get out of all of those contracts after one or two years with minimal long-term cap implications. And that is the big win. That's the big adjustment for how the Dolphins do their business.
Between never-ending laundry cycles and incoming emails, you've got plenty on your to-do list. Give yourself one less thing to worry about. Let DoorDash take care of your next meal. You want Chinese, they want pizza, and someone's craving Froyo. There's something for everyone on DoorDash, and you can continue supporting restaurants in your community safely. There are thousands of restaurants open for delivery on DoorDash that need your patronage now more than ever. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your front door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting. With over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero in delivery fees in their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCKEDON. That's $5 off your first order and zero in delivery fees when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and use the code LOCKEDON. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi. Made for football watching. Somebody ring the bell. It's time. Power to the pod. It's on. iTunes reviews first. As always, if you leave a five-star review on the show, I'm going to make sure I get to you. There were some questions that pertained specifically to the Los Angeles Chargers, uh, which I apologize. There was kind of a moot point. We won't cover too much ground with them. But we do have this really interesting question. Uh, from Blaze B14, which was filed on November 9th. Tua and O, or now Thria and O. Do you think we win the Cardinals game if Ryan Fitzpatrick is our quarterback? I would like to think it's possible, right? They want a heavyweight slugfest against an NFC playoff team in 2019 with Ryan Fitzpatrick when they beat the Eagles at home. But that was at home. I think that game-tying drive that Tua Tungabailoa engineered was the first arrival moment of the Tua era. Yeah, there were great plays before that. You could see the talent before that. But that moment with that amount of gravity in play, I think you have to have a special quarterback to do it. So because of that, I'll say no. Maybe it, it would not be it would not have blown my mind if Ryan Fitzpatrick had successfully won the game against the Cardinals. But I think the margin for error would have been much smaller, and the Dolphins didn't have a lot of margin for error to work with. Uh, Tim Chandler Rodriguez, do want to give you a shout out. Uh, you left a question asking about how we would match up with Justin Herbert and if it's correlating to uh, Josh Allen. I'll say this about the matchup with the Chargers. If you did not see the comments that Keenan Allen made about the matchup with Miami, whoa, Nelly. This is a, was a pretty damning quote or, or snippet from Keenan Allen, the wide receiver from the Chargers, who said on Monday, uh, pretty safe to say we were confused out there offensively with what the Dolphins were doing and uh, paraphrasing from, I believe it was the Chargers athletic beat writer, 
something along the lines of we effectively just settled on running the ball to avoid catastrophic plays because we didn't know what was going on. <laughs> so I guess that that is a coaching discrepancy between the Bills and the Chargers because I think athletically Justin brings you a lot of the same tools as what Josh Allen does. I'll be really interested to see how the Week 17 game plays uh, if there's something on the line and both teams are trying to win it. In large part because you think about the way the Buffalo Bills are constructed and they're one of the NFL's most pass-frequent teams. Uh, They don't run the ball with a lot of success, neither do the Dolphins. But the Dolphins do have a better defense based off of 10 weeks of a body of work than what the Buffalo Bills do. And obviously they played the Dolphins without Byron Jones uh, and Ryan Fitzpatrick was the quarterback. I'll be really interested to see how that correlates to cold-weather football. Buffalo's interesting because they are an outdoor, cold-weather team that runs a style of offense right now that you would not expect a cold-weather team to play knowing your home games, you're going to have to play that brand of football outside in the wintertime. So... Uh, Miami's quick strike, less push the ball, may be something that perhaps has some friendly correlation to cold weather, but uh, that that's for another day. Andy, yo, I saw this one. I wanted to make sure I get this one, Andy. Uh, awesome pod and seamless transition from Travis to Kyle. Look forward to listening to the pod every day on my drive. What advice for would you have? What advice would you have for someone that is getting out of the military and wants to pursue a career in the sports industry? internships to look at any advice would be greatly appreciated go fins so first and foremost andy thank you uh for your service and sacrifice uh what i would say is this the uh the internet landscape and and climate right now affords anybody an opportunity to have a platform And that's really how I got my start, was trying to build an online portfolio and resume of what I am capable of, and then using social media to reach people with that in fun and engaging and entertaining kinds of ways. So you have to kind of assess your own personality, your own skill set, your own strengths and weaknesses, what you're interested in doing. You could buy it, and that's how I started. I did a a blog spot site for free and just did blog for the first six months. And then I got a GoDaddy site, and I was on a GoDaddy site for three years. Just And and it's a grind because if you're going to start it yourself, you have to, you know, be willing to do it in your free time. But it's very gratifying if it escalates to some level of, of people wanting you to be a part of what they're doing and offering you a bigger platform than what you can build on your own. So kind of the entrepreneurial route is the way that I know because that's the way that I came up through it and got started and just become a student of the game and, and consume as much football and read as many resources as you can. And uh, that, that would be my recommendation for anybody who would like a voice in this space. But my biggest piece of advice would be don't be afraid to get started there will never be a better time to start than today. Because once you start and you make it a daily habit, you can't imagine your life without it. And that's when it becomes really fun because it's not work anymore. It's what you do for fun that you're working towards being able to get paid to do. 
Let's see. Leonard from Kendall. Is it time to start thinking of a name for the defense? Yes. Uh, Leonard wants to call them the Miami Vice. Um, I like that name a lot. But I think it's up to the, the players, isn't it? Like, player names or, or team nicknames, Legion of Boom, all that kind of stuff. That typically comes from within, doesn't it? I don't know. I, I feel weird about trying to come up with a nickname for somebody else. And the reason why is, is you guys remember Doug Martin, a running back. If you're a fantasy football player, you probably know him. Uh, but his nickname from the media was the Muscle Hamster. And he was like, yeah, I hate that nickname. Don't call me that. <laughs> so I think when the Dolphins defense is ready, I think they should definitely start scheming up names because they've got a young core in place. And we're going to see this infrastructure defensively for quite a long time. And we should all be super excited about that because there's a ton of talent there and the coaching is clicking too. We here at the Locked On Network have been big time proponents of the Built brand and Built's newest product, Built Go, just ups the ante even more. It's a workout gel that's built to help you break through your mental or physical wall each and every day. It's easy to take. It comes in a one and a half ounce package. You put it in your back pocket, in your golf bag, in your briefcase, in your glove compartment, wherever, and it's always ready to go when you are. It's the best workout gel on the market. It's like five-hour energy without the same crash feeling. It's like drinking a Monster with a third of the caffeine and better results. It comes in three delicious flavors. My personal favorite is chocolate mint, but there's also peanut butter honey and chocolate coconut. Bilko combines energy gel with collagen protein, which is fast absorbing, and it gets into your system fast, and it's easier on your stomach. It's loaded with the good stuff to ignite your system, beta alanine, B3, honey, caffeine, and it's built to kick all day long with B6 and B12. So visit BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED, and you'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. Next question comes from SoCal FinFan. Love your expertise on many players because of your draft knowledge. Based on the current roster, what positions would you address in the first two rounds of the 2021 draft? I'm not going to sink airtime into it, but tonight, second round of my third 2021 NFL mock draft over at thedraftnetwork.com drops, and the Dolphins already got two picks in the first round. They get another two picks coming tonight. So if you're listening on Tuesday... Go to thedraftnetwork.com tonight, somewhere around 7 p.m. If you're listening on Wednesday, go to the draft, thedraftnetwork.com anytime, and you can pick up and, and see what those first four picks were based on my, mean, my, not my picks mocking for all 32 teams. Two and number one, great podcast. I listen to it every single night. Thank you, first and foremost, for listening every single night. What do you think our D is... Do you think our defense is consistent enough against good teams to take them and Tua on offense to the playoffs? Yes. I think this is the expectation for this team right now should be a playoff team. This team plays really good defense. They play smart. They play disciplined. They all play, they play all three phases, and they have a favorable schedule. New England at home will be tough, but at least it's at home. Kansas City at home will be tough, but at least it's at home. And the Dolphins do have the defensive personnel to at least try to run with these guys a little bit in Kansas City. I saw the Raiders beat the Chiefs this year, so I'm going to never say never. I saw the Colts beat the Chiefs last year, so I'm going to never say never. 
If you can pressure Patrick Mahomes, you might be able to, to steal a win at home. Wouldn't rule it out as an impossibility. Do I expect to win that game? No. But you look at the rest of the schedule. Broncos, Jets, Bengals, Raiders. Those four games I think the Dolphins match up very favorably in. And then the Bills Week 17, well, let's see what we're made of. But yes, you know, if they take care of the four games that I mentioned that I think are good matchups for the Dolphins, you're talking a minimum of 10 wins its playoff team. Slack attack, 26. Brandon Jones. Kyle, big fan of the podcast. How do you feel Brandon Jones and his play this year? I don't follow every snap like you, but from what I've seen, he seems to be pretty solid when he's on the field. I would agree with you. Uh, I've been very, very happy with what Brandon Jones has illustrated for the Miami Dolphins to this point, kind of filling that hybrid linebacker safety, Patrick Chung type role, big presence in the box, dude plays a million miles per hour. And I like that you can find them on the A, B, and C levels of the defense. They did that. Uh, they had some safety rotations in which he was you know, rolled up and ended up as deep middle coverage on a handful of snaps. He's also in the A-gap and double mug looks, pressuring A-gaps and dropping off underneath in zones. So a very diverse football player. I think he's, he's been a pleasant watch every single time I've watched Dolphins defense. End board, 142. Question, would you rather have Dan as a rookie in 2020 with Flores and company or Tua as a rookie in 2020 with Shula and company? Jeez. Um, I can't answer this. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to disrespect somebody. This is blasphemy. Would you rather have Dan Marino as a rookie in 2020 with Brian Flores or... Tua Tungavailoa as a rookie with Don Shula and company. I have to take the coach, right? It's the winningest coach in the history of the NFL. But that feels so dirty to not pick Dan Marino. I'm sitting here looking at his, his card, his, his tops sports card on my office desk right now with a signed helmet. I think I take the coach. Am I getting young Shula? That, that's the stipulation. If I get young Shula, I'm taking Shula. But if I get Marino as a rookie with Flores and I get Flores here and now, I'm taking Dan. I hate you for that question. Ish. Great job with the show. Which Dolphins players are set for free agency and which ones are expected to stay and go, in your opinion? This is a great question. Um, obviously... Sealer getting a contract extension has that on my mind. I actually just wrote this for DolphinsWire.com. Listed some players that are either expiring contracts or players that are in line for extensions based off of Miami aggressively moving on Zach Sealer. And some of the names that I came up with, Ryan Fitzpatrick, if he wants to be here, is one that jumps off the screen at me. If he's comfortable with the way his starting tenure ended in Miami and wants to continue playing football, that's an obvious fit. I think about, on the offensive line, Ted Karras. Uh, Ted's been pretty solid. I think it's an upgradable position, but if Miami really likes his demeanor and his presence in the middle, I think he's a well-respected team leader. He's super smart. He played a really good game against the Chargers. I know they didn't have Aaron Donald up there, but like 
I thought Ted played well against the Chargers. I could see him at least getting an extension because he's in a contract year this year. Mac Hollins, more of a special teams kind of guy, but like I'd preemptively extend that guy so I don't risk and flirt with the idea of him leaving. And he's got to try out now to kind of prove that he can play on offense. Defensively, Emmanuel Ogba is the big one. Uh, they signed him to a two-year deal. I'd be working on that extension right now because if he finishes the year and has any kind of encore next year, you're talking about a $20 million plus annual average salary player. So I want to reward him. I want to give him the pay raise, not unlike what they did with Devontae Parker, right? They gave Devontae Parker the fifth-year option and turned it into a two-year deal. And then by the end of 2019, it turned into a four-year extension worth $40 million. I think you're probably going to have to pay Agba more than that based on what his sack production is. But I think he's worth it to have the peace of mind especially if he stays healthy. But I would be drawing up preliminary conversations with Agba that places him around 15 to $16 million annual average salary right now. Devon Gottschall set to hit free agent market, I think, between Wilkins, Raekwon Davis, and Sealer. Devon's going to have a tough sell unless he's willing to take less money. Uh, so I think that's a dollars and cents proposition. Matt Hawk, the punter, has had a great season thus far. He's in a contract year as well. I'd be working on an extension with him. And I'd also be working on an extension with Elan and Roberts, knowing that he's either going to be depth slash special teams or he's going to have a very niche role in the defense. He's really good between the tackles, filling downhill. I don't feel comfortable with him as a three-down linebacker. So if you can get him to agree to a contract for that, you can get him extended there. Those are the names that jumped off of me as I'm looking at, okay, how do we assess from a long-term view? Who do we have in the building that we want to be here long-term, and how can we financially start to get the wheels moving? Those were the guys that jumped off at me. The good news is we're done the iTunes reviews questions. The bad news is I now have 50-something Twitter questions, and we're already 27 minutes into the show. We'll do some turbo round. We'll, re, we'll reassess this. We'll come back to it on Thursday when we do the crossover with Locked On Broncos. Um, so if you didn't get your questions, your Twitter questions answered today, come back every day first and foremost. But look for them on Thursday or go look at DolphinsWire.com because I will probably be addressing some of them as written content because you guys ask so many great questions that I'm sure a lot of Dolphins fans are asking. I often find they're worthwhile to write about and help answer your questions that way as well. Uh, so we'll go lightning round. Alejo, uh, Tua had some bad reads, should have had an interception at least twice on the Sheen, Sheen catch and Parker in the back of the end zone in the double coverage. Could you break down those snaps? I'm not fully done charting the Dolphins' offensive reps yet, so I can't break them down in deep dive, Alejo. Is there reason for concern? No. Um, Every quarterback is going to have interceptable passes and turnover-worthy plays. If he starts throwing it directly at linebackers and doesn't see them every single week, then, yeah, we can have a conversation. But I'm not going to get too amped up about him not seeing, misdiagnosing an underneath zone shell, and then getting pressured and trying to make a big play, throwing it up to his best receiver, trying to get a one-on-one. 
tone total with Miami ending the season in, on the road in frigid Buffalo on a scale of one to 10. How important is it for Miami to win the division? Because if they don't, that would mean four straight road games and two in Buffalo, most likely to get to the Super Bowl. Some of y'all might not like this admission. I've, I've not thought about the Super Bowl once. Um, mainly because this still doesn't feel real, right? Six and three best start in nine games since 2001. I haven't really thought about the road to the Super Bowl yet, but I can tell you this, uh, this Dolphins team is mentally tough. And because they're mentally tough, I wouldn't put anything past them as far as getting their bearings and wits about them to rise to the occasion for whatever road they are tasked with when the time comes. Does that mean they're going to pull it off? Am I saying the Dolphins are going to win the Super Bowl this year? No, absolutely not. I'd be, I'd be super impressed and I'd be thrilled with the playoff win this year in the grand scheme of the big picture. But this is a mentally tough enough team that I feel like they will be ready to play whenever the time comes. Adrian, what's the next step for this team with our current trajectory and assets going into the next offseason? What are your expectations for this year, next year, and beyond? So, okay, so this kind of piggybacks off of what we just said. My feel really good about the Dolphins this year is they win 10 games. My feel great about the Dolphins, and I will be insufferable in the offseason, is they win a playoff game this year and year two. Next year, I expect the Dolphins to be able to contend for and win a division title, and I expect a home playoff game, and I expect a home win. Based on if they finish the season meeting the thresholds that I have set for 2020. If they don't, then those become my expectations for 2021. So it's kind of a sliding scale, right? It's like, when do you arrive? And if the Dolphins, quote-unquote, arrive this year, winning 10 games, go to the playoffs, they win a playoff game, okay, then I'm going to expect you to go out and win the division next year because you have all this infusion of talent coming. you got a young roster that's only going to get better when they get a year older. But if you don't do that this year, then that becomes what I expect you to do next year. Numbers guy, Skip, 1951. Do you believe a power back or continue offensive line help is more of a priority in this next draft? I think they have enough pieces on the offensive line. I would not rule out drafting a center or drafting a left guard to replace Eric Flowers in the long run. Eric's been fine in pass protection. Generally speaking, the offensive line in general has been fine in pass protection. But I do look at the offensive line and I look at the cost associated in Eric Flowers making $10 million annual average salaries on a three-year contract. And the Dolphins could get out of that contract after 2021 and owe him no dead money against the cap. So as you transition, you look to start making moves a year in advance uh, I would not rule out center and left guard as most probable positions of getting drafted on the offensive line. I think running back is going to take precedent because they got so much youth up front at this point in time. Ian, love the podcast. Great minds think alike. You asked about unsung hero like Brandon Jones. Gave you a little bit of my thoughts on Brandon Jones a little early in the show, so I won't dig into the time lump into it but big humble David why is Jesse Davis still starting am I wrong in thinking he looked terrible in pass pro on Sunday I am not a super big Jesse Davis fan to be completely honest 
whether it's at tackle or guard, I think he looks more natural inside at guard, but he doesn't have the explosiveness in his hands. He doesn't really win at first contact with the same degree as what you would want based on the identity that you are expecting this offensive lineman to develop into. Now, he's more fluid and more rangy than Solomon Kinley, so you got to balance those out. But if I had my way, my left to right line is Jackson, Flowers, Karras, Kinley, Hunt. I understand the apprehension of not wanting three rookies on an offensive line in front of a rookie quarterback. I get it. So if that's the thought process, fine. We'll live with it. But I don't think Davis has anything beyond being a swing tackle or utility offensive lineman in his future in Miami. Connor. Now that all the charges have been dropped from DeAndre Baker, the cornerback that was drafted in the first round from the New York Giants, should we look into giving him a chance? I know the Dolphins have three good corners right now, but you can never have enough, right? That's correct. You can never. There's no such thing as too many good corners. Do I think the Dolphins will roll the dice? Mm. I'm not so sure. Uh, and the reason being is it, it's redundant. You do have Noah Igbenogany, who's not playing in the nickel, so he's already the de facto backup boundary corner or field corner or outside corner, whatever you want, to, whatever terminology you want to use, which means Baker's going to come in. He's going to be your CB4. And with how many good safeties the Dolphins have that have coverage capability, it just feels like he'd be buried so far down that he wouldn't even get the reps to be assessed anyway. And the Dolphins feel like they're they're fixated on the group that they have for the next several years. So there's no such thing as too many good corners, but I don't know that the opportunity is here for Baker that he would want to come here or the Dolphins would be interested in taking on that experiment. Last one of the day it comes from Marcos. Uh, wants to know about Eric Studsfeld, the running backs coach. Is it time to let him go? Running back production since 2017 when he came here is dull. Players ball out when they leave. They get worse in Miami. Um, no, I don't I don't think so. I, I like Eric. I think the bigger root of the problem for Miami's issues in its entirety have been the offensive line issues that are impossible to ignore. And then you look at players like Salvin Ahmed, you look at players like Patrick Laird, you look at players like Miles Gaskin, who come in and they show some life and they're low-value buys and, and toolsy, but not super athletically gifted. I think Miami probably just has a type that they're going to resonate more and they need to get the offensive line right to be able to make the most of their opportunities in the backfield. So... I don't think it's necessarily an indictment of coaching. Uh, obviously, J.H.I. and Kenyon Drake had bright flashes when they were here. And I don't regret Williams at all because Adam Gase gave Williams a cold shoulder. Um, so I think Adam Gase has the blood on his hands there for Damian Williams leaving the Dolphins on such bad terms and then going on to find success in Kansas City. So... Hope you guys enjoyed Power to the Pod. As I said, more Twitter questions will come back to us on Thursday, so don't fret if I didn't get to you. I promise I will get much more of them, but this is uh, this is the blessing and the curse that comes with the Miami Dolphins finding the success that they have is Power to the Pod is suddenly probably 
you know, in a perfect world, a three-day concept, because there's just so much to talk about. You guys have so many great questions and ground we need to cover. So do my best to continue to cover as much of it as possible. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode of the show. I know I did. I always do. Keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. Thanks, as always, for listening. I'll talk with you guys again tomorrow.